If you've been here, you've heard me answer this question before. Don't blurt it out. Not that you would, but don't. Mitch, if you had to sum up the Bible in one word, what would it be? If you don't know what I've, how I've answered that question in the past, you might suspect that I would say, Jesus, well, that's the easy answer. I've got a different word than Jesus. Many of you in here have been following Jesus for a long time. And if you were asked that question, how would you sum up the Bible in one word? You may answer it exactly how I would. Others of you might not be so sure. Now, that's an interesting question. How do you sum up the Bible in one word if the answer can't be Jesus? What would you say? There may be some of you in the room who, if we gave you opportunity to answer, you might say, hmm, from what I know about the Bible, from what I know about Christianity, law. I mean, this is the law of God, and we've got to keep the law of God if we're going to be loved by Him and accepted by Him and made part of his family this is his law and what you do with law is you obey it in order for things to go well or to make maybe be a little bit more informal you might not say law you might think okay bible um that's yeah i've heard about that book my whole life that's the that's god's rule book and so you might answer rules I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I know it's got some rules in there. And so, yeah, that's, that's it. These are the, these are the rules you've got to keep if God is going to love you, if, if you're going to be acceptable to Him. And if you're doing good at keeping the rules, then you're in. But if you start to fall short of the rules, then you're out. And so it's an in and out kind of thing. And you do your best and you hope at the end of it all, you've kept the rules good enough. If you were being even more informal, you might say hoops. These are the hoops that one must jump through if they hope to get the treat at the end of the gig. Come on, hop through. Hop, 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 hop. Good for you. There you go. It's the law. It's the rules. It's the hoops I've got to hop through. I can promise you if... if if maybe you're leaning in that direction, it's not the way that I would sum up the Bible. It's not even close. And I think I've got good reason for that. I want to show you a very important text of Scripture. It makes it crystal clear that law or rules or hoops is not the best answer. And in fact, it contains the very word that I would choose. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15. Matthew, what's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, maybe grab your phone and pull up an app or just go online and search Acts chapter 15. 
The book of Acts is the story of the spread of the church from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, further north to Antioch, to the west into Asia Minor, further west around the Aegean Sea, further west all the way to Rome. It's the spread of the gospel, the spread of the church from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And we've seen over the last several weeks in chapters 13 and 14, that was the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas and John Mark was with them early on in that journey, taking the gospel even further to the island of Cyprus and then up into Asia Minor, what we would call modern-day Turkey. Sharing the gospel, leading people to Jesus, planting churches, establishing leaders, forming them, getting them settled on that first missionary journey in cities like Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And having planted those churches and made his follow-up visits, which Antonio showed you last week, verse 27 of chapter 14, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. They came back and they just reported all that God was doing, of how they had gone into these cities and seen many, many Gentiles put their faith in Jesus Christ. Awesome stuff. That this gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles also. Chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Some men came down to Antioch. If, if you know the map, Jerusalem is south and Antioch is up north, but you always went up to Jerusalem and you always went down from Jerusalem. So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and began to teach the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Faith in Jesus is okay, but you need to become Jewish, you Gentiles. You need to be circumcised, the cutting of the foreskin off of the male reproductive organ. You have to do this. You have to become a Jew. In verse 2, I wrote out to the side, them's fighting words. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. There was enough debate going on in Antioch. What must a person do in order to be a part of the people of God? Is believing in Jesus enough? Trusting in Him? Putting faith in Him enough? Mustn't they also be circumcised? And with it, you're going to see down in verse 5, direct them to observe the law of Moses. It's not enough just simply to be circumcised. You also have to keep the Jewish diet code and keep the Jewish holy days. There was enough dissension and debate about this that the church in Antioch said, you all go to Jerusalem, settle the matter. 
Verse 3, therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Some have said this is the first Christian heresy in the history of the church. And the church is rightly going to have to jump in and figure it out and deal with it. This is not just some peripheral matter of Christian doctrine on which good men and women might disagree. This one's getting at the core of what it means to have a personal relationship with God. What must a person do? What must you do? What they were proposing was what we call legalism. That you have to perform for God to achieve forgiveness from Him. C.J. Mahaney said it like this, it's seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. How do you achieve the forgiveness of your sins, which all of us desperately need? How do you receive acceptance by God, which all of us desperately need, if the wages of sin is death? If we've been separated by our sins, if, if as Romans calls us, enemies, how do, you, how do you gain acceptance with God? So, how do you have your sins forgiven? How do you achieve acceptance with God or be reconciled to him or become a part of his family. Legalism says by doing. Through obedience to God, you achieve these things. Tim Keller says legalism is looking to something besides Jesus in order to be acceptable and clean before God. It's not looking to Jesus and his cross. It's looking to something else like one's philanthropy. Like one's religious observance. Yeah, I go to church almost every Sunday. Or a particular ceremony like one's baptism or even the taking of the Lord's Supper. That's what saves me. It's salvation by law, salvation by works. It's seeking to earn God's favor through my performance. And we've got to jump ahead, but I'll show you a couple words here. Look in verse 19. This is a part of the decision that they've come to, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, but I just want to show you some words in verse 19. Therefore, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles. And down in verse 24, since we heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling 
your souls. That's what legalism does. It troubles. It disturbs. It unsettles. In fact, if you like to take notes and try to keep up with things, you could write after chapter 14, verse 28, and before chapter 15, verse 1, you could write Galatians. Because that's where Paul's letter to the Galatians fits in. And if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, Paul had just been on that first missionary journey, planted the churches in Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, preached Christ to them. They believed, churches planted, this is awesome. Paul came back to Antioch and was giving them a report of all that God was doing among the Gentiles, and then false teachers crept in behind him and began to question the gospel of grace that he had been preaching among those Gentiles and saying that faith in Jesus was good, but it wasn't enough. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep Jewish holy days. You need to keep Jewish diet code. You've got to become Jewish in order to be saved, and some of them were believing it. And so Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and I just want to quote a couple of verses to you. He said in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only some are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It disturbs. In Titus chapter 1, Paul would speak of false teaching that upsets whole families. In 2 Timothy 2, he would speak of false teaching that upsets the faith of some. It's impossible for you and me to do enough in order to earn God's forgiveness. To do enough to deserve his acceptance. Peter's going to say as much in verse 10. And again, we jump ahead. But now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? They were saying, faith plus. You've got to be circumcised. You have to observe the law of Moses. Well, in verse 6, they're going to say no. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter, if you'd like to take notes, circle Peter. Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now if you've been following the story, you remember that's Acts chapter 10. Remember when Peter had his vision? And he wasn't sure what to make of it. And then these gentlemen came and said, hey, Cornelius has had a vision too. You're meant to come to his house and share something with him. And Peter went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile. He had his Gentile family and his Gentile friends there. These are not Jewish people. And they said, we're here to hear from you, Peter. And Peter preached the gospel to them. They believed, and the Holy Spirit came to indwell those Gentiles. And the, in chapter 11, you'll remember the leadership in Jerusalem called Peter in and said, hey, what are you doing going to the Gentiles' house? 
This is new stuff for everybody. And Peter says, listen, I had this vision, and these guys came, and I went in, and I preached the gospel, and they believed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them just as he came upon us. And they rejoiced that God had granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. So Peter played a key role in this idea that the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter says, we haven't been able to keep the law. Why are we going to place that yoke upon the Gentiles? For centuries now, the Jewish nation had been exiled from their land, if you will, and while a remnant had returned in the days of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, still they were under the thumb of the Gentiles. They had been under Assyria and the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, and that's who they're under right now. Why had they been under all of that Gentile rule for all of those centuries? Because of their inability to keep God's law. Peter says, we haven't been able to keep it. Why are we going to put upon them this burden as well. And then verse 11. Here's the first Apostles' Creed. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. We believe that we are saved through the grace. There's my word. Sum up the whole Bible in a word, Mitch. Jesus, eh, too easy. Grace. Grace is the, it's the posture of God towards sinful humanity who deserve only his wrath. That's not politically correct, but that's biblically true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We were by nature children of wrath. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve His forgiveness. We don't deserve His acceptance. We don't deserve His adoption. And yet God has been gracious, gracious towards us. Grace. It's His unmerited favor. It's his kindness towards sinners like you and me. We're saved not because we do anything to earn it or deserve it. We save it. We're saved because God is gracious towards us. How many verses could we quote here? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. In Romans, after spending chapter 1, verse 18, 
all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, showing that every person lacks righteousness. Everybody is under sin. 3.21, but now. Apart from the works of the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified or being declared righteous, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and if you had any inclination to, rule, to words like, oh yeah, that's, that's a book about law. It's a book of rules. It's, it's the hoops we've got to jump through. And, and if your assumption was that this is a room full of a bunch of people who have kept the rules better than you or are trying to jump through the hoops, no. Not even close. This is a room full of a group of people who have understood themselves to be sinners before God. Just like you. And it's a group of people who realize that the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news is that we don't have to keep the rules in order to earn God's forgiveness and acceptance. We don't have to jump through any hoops in order to earn God's forgiveness or his acceptance or be adopted into his family. We don't have to climb any rungs. We've, we've realized what God has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I wish I smiled more than I do, but the Bible is a book with a big, big smile. It's not a book, it's not a book that if you were going to do artwork that you'd put a frown on the front. You'd put a big smile of a God, and, and get this too, it's not that God began to act in grace when the New Testament opened up. It's from beginning to end. A message of the grace of God. A message of a God coming for his people. We are saved, we believe, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. That's why the most famous song, probably in the history of the world, or at least among God's people, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's not amazing performance. How can it be that a guy like me would jump through God's hoops just as well as I have? Right? It ain't that. Amazing Mitch. How can it be? That you kept my law, unlike he, you know? No, I just made that up. That's pretty good. Thank you very much. That ain't it.
Aren't you glad? All the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul, so circled him. So Peter, you circled him. Paul and Barnabas, they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas got up and said, guys, let us tell you what God was doing while we were in the city of Antioch, Iconium, Lister, and Derby. We were preaching a gospel of the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ apart from the works of the law. And as we were preaching, the Holy Spirit was at work. Miracles, signs and wonders, God putting his stamp of approval on it. After they had stopped speaking, James answered. So circle James. This is not James and John, the, the sons of thunder. He, he got killed, you remember, back in chapter 12. This is James, the little brother of Jesus, who while Jesus was during his ministry, James thought his brother was mad. But after Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to his brother James, and his life was radically changed, and he became one of the leaders, if not the leader, in the church in Jerusalem. So after they stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, that's Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Peter has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he quotes here from Amos chapter 9. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I think that's the idea of, of the... The Davidic Messiah is going to come and, and issue in his kingdom. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. James, or, yeah, James stands up and says, listen, what God is doing among the Gentiles shouldn't surprise us. This is just what the Scriptures we're anticipating that this salvation that God's Messiah would bring would not be simply for the Jew Jews, but also for the whole wide world. So it's not legalism. We're not saved by our performance. It's grace. And in verse 19, James continues, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication and from what is strangled and from what is blood. Interesting. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he has read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders. I think what's going on here is this, and all the commentators agree, even though it's, it, verse 20 can be kind of, these are Gentiles that are concerned, they're concerned with. Must they keep the law of God in order to be a part of the people of God? And the answer is no. We're not saved by the keeping of the law. But having that principle nailed down, let's encourage these Gentile believers because they are in fellowship with Jewish believers. Even though they have the liberty to do some things out of love and a desire for unity, to abstain from some things. Just to give maybe an example, if, if you had a neighbor that you were trying to win to faith in Jesus Christ, and let's say that that neighbor was Hindu. 
Hindus, as I understand it, those who are serious about their Hinduism, or maybe all of them, do not eat cows. So they don't eat hamburgers, and they don't eat steak, and they don't eat beef brisket. I know, Justin. I threw that one in for you, brother. Let's say you were going to have your Hindu neighbors over for dinner because you wanted to bless them. You wanted to eat with them and get to know them and share your story with them and the gospel with them. Are you free to eat a steak? Yep. Are you free to eat brisket? Yep. Are you free to grill up some hamburgers? Yep. Would you? I sure hope not. I sure hope you, your love would supersede liberty. Now, let's go a step further. Let's, let's assume you led them to faith in Jesus. You've been having them over to the house, and you've been praying for them, and, and God just shows up, and they put their faith in Jesus. They become followers of Jesus. They start coming to Redeemer Community Church, and isn't that awesome? And then you decide to have them over for dinner again. They're, they're new Christians. They're followers of Jesus now. They're free. You going to serve brisket? No. Why? You're free to. Heck, they're even free to, but they don't know it. And to do so would be a huge stumbling block for them. And so out of love, you would limit your own freedom for the sake of unity, harmony, and eventual discipleship. Verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So, hey, it's great. We're going to send Paul and Barnabas back with this decision, but let's send a couple others with them. Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So these were some of the leaders there in Jerusalem. Let's send you guys too. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria, that's surrounding region, and Cilicia, a surrounding region, who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. To abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So what was the result of this in verse 30? So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. That's what grace does. It brings joy. It brings encouragement. You don't have to do this and have to do that and then this and also that in order to be right with God. 
You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Amen. If you won't say amen, I'll say amen. A lengthy message. Right? After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. So I circled two words in this paragraph, encouragement and peace. That's what this decision brought. That's what the gospel produces, not trouble, disturbance, unsettling of your souls. It brings encouragement. And it brings peace. It seemed good to Silas to remain there, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also. The word of the Lord. If you're an unbeliever here today, if you... If if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll at least leave here today going, okay, I got a better feel for what those people believe. What they don't believe is that you earn God's favor and God's forgiveness and God's acceptance and God's heaven through good works. I thought they believed that, but I understand now they don't believe that. What they believe is that they are sinners before God. That they need his forgiveness and they need to be reconciled to him and, and made part of his family. But they don't believe they earn that through doing better. They believe it's a gift from God. They believe it's of grace. God being gracious to provide for them what they could never earn or deserve in and of themselves. That's the first thing I hope. I hope you'll get that. And even more than that, by God's mercy, I wish you'd go. You gotta be kidding. I thought I had to earn God's favor. I thought I had to shape up. I thought I had to do this and do that. You're telling me it's a free gift to be received? You mean I can be reconciled to God on the basis of His grace and, and mere faith, trusting, turning, looking to Him? Yes. A thousand times, yes. That's the message of the Bible. Not law, not rules, not hoops. Grace. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man would boast. If you want to talk more about that after the service, please come visit with me. Or shoot me an email or give me a call. And we'll get together. And I'll just close with this. To those of us who do believe this and know this, 
What a message we have to share. What a message we have to share of the amazing grace of God. Everybody we come in contact with, everybody you know, needs grace. And we have it because of our great God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, with Peter, we affirm that we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And we bless you for it. Thank you that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. But you've treated us in grace, in love, in kindness, in mercy. It just shouts off the pages of Scripture. Oh God, may it so grip our souls that we would never be the same. And as a church family, may it so grip our souls that our church culture would just be so marked by grace. Grace. For any of our friends here today, Lord, who've never understood, might you open the eyes of their heart to see the amazing grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ. And might they turn to him, take hold of him, We will pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.